Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. It was a bummer to not have Brewers baseball this weekend. One of the first times in my life that I felt jealous of Cubs fans. Other than, of course, the World Series. And, you know, Twins fans. I kept looking over the border like, oh, they're playing baseball. That looks fun. What I wouldn't give to spend my Saturday afternoon watching a Brewers game. Or a Sunday afternoon. Oh, Brewers could add a double header yesterday. That had me excited. And that ended up getting canceled as well. The news broke just as I was finishing up Dave's show on Friday. Dave took a long weekend. I was filling in on... Friday morning and the news broke at like 8.50. The last 10 minutes on air basically threw away everything we'd already talked about because now the Brewers are canceled. Can't talk about the upcoming series. So the news broke last Friday morning and, and since last Thursday or Wednesday because the Brewers were off Thursday, we haven't had Brewers baseball to talk about or to watch. Hope you found something to do. Hope you still had a good weekend. I, I, I had a little free time, so I did some fishing. I went to a loggers game, which was a blast and everyone was actually socially distant like everyone was spread out all over the ballpark it was a beautiful night that was a 10 out of 10 experience I got down and fished the Kickapoo a little bit on Sunday so shout out to everyone south of lacrosse listening to us down in the driftless area it was a beautiful Sunday to catch some nice brown trout as well so I just took a little uh took a little outdoors time this weekend loggers game got on the river a little bit and uh ready to get back at it watching Brewers baseball tonight this is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. If at any point, any point between now and 6 o'clock, you would like to call in and disagree or agree or just make a point of your own, please do. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. Give me a call. Give me a text. Don't wait for an invite. Just jump on in. I'd love to have you. I want to talk about the Bucs in the NBA coming up at 530, but until then, I want to talk about the biggest news of the week and of the weekend, and it just happens to involve our favorite team, our Wisconsin team, the Milwaukee Brewers. It was a huge bummer to not have games at Miller Park this weekend. It was supposed to be their home opener, right? It's it's August 3rd. The Brewers still haven't played a, played a game at Miller Park. A little bit of jealous of, of Twins and the Cubs fans this weekend. That was tough to see them having fun. Both teams playing really, really well. The Twins, whether this season finishes or not, the Twins are a blast to watch because they just hit jacks every other inning. And the Cubs have, have been finding ways to win games just day after day after day. I keep checking the score or tuning into the game, and the Cubs are winning. Cubs are winning. They're turning out wins, which doesn't really surprise me. Last week, I picked the Cubs to win the division, but we did our NL Central predictions. You know that I think the Cubs are the best team. It's frustrating, though, to watch the Cubs play and grow their lead and continue to win games when the Brewers are sitting at home because the team they're supposed to play, the Cardinals, uh, yeah, they all got COVID. The Marlins outbreak started a clock a couple days into the season. So the season started on Thursday. The outbreak for the Marlins was announced officially on Monday morning. So what they go, four days. That outbreak in Miami, and it affected multiple teams, but the outbreak, the sickness was in Miami. That started a clock. It started a possible chain reaction. And that chain reaction was continued by the Cardinals and that announcement on Friday morning, just four days later. And that shutdown that the Cardinals caused just days later isn't just problematic for the Brewers and the Cardinals and all the teams involved, but it's problematic for the entirety of Major League Baseball and the NFL. Let's dig into this a little bit. So timing is everything, right? You've heard that expression. I talked to Dave on the WKTY Morning Show this morning. I told him the same thing. Timing is everything. You got two outbreaks in eight days. 
eight days, two teams have a, a large-scale outbreak on their team with a good number of players coming down with it. By the way, that number is up to 13 people in the Cardinals organization as of this afternoon. Uh, it was reported by Mark Saxon. 13. And that number could go up. Maybe we get some more positive tests. But as of right now, it's at 13. That's a full-scale outbreak, the second one in eight days. Timing is everything. If that second outbreak would have happened 80 days later, okay, not so bad. Start the season, you have an outbreak right away, everybody gets it under control, and then you play baseball for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Okay, a team gets unlucky and gets COVID 80 days in. Fine, not a big deal at all. But two outbreaks in eight days? That's problematic. Because if baseball continues on this current trend, that sets the precedent for four or five teams shutting down once a week. And that's assuming only one team, one team suffers an outbreak every week. That's the pace we're on, right? First the Marlins, eight days later, then the Cardinals, or eight days into the season, I should say. If we continue on this pace, four or five Major League Baseball teams are going to shut down every single week. That wreaks havoc on the standings. You're probably going to have to decide the standings and playoff finishing by winning percentages, which no one wants to do, but at this case is probably the best case scenario. It's the best you can do, right? That, that's a big theme of, of this pandemic in sports. There's no perfect solution. You just have to do the best you can. I think going off winning percentage is the best thing Major League Baseball can do. Right now, the Cardinals aren't going to go to Detroit this week. That's their next series. They're staying in St. Louis. So they're probably going to have to make up at least seven games, if not more. Timing is everything for the Cardinals, for the Brewers, for the whole league. Now, the timing of these outbreaks and these shutdowns also affect individual players. Something we've seen so far this year, and this has to do with the shortened summer training and ramp up period, is pitchers are getting injured. Miles Michaelis. Cole Hamels, Corey Kluber, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw are all on the injured list or have been on the injured list at some point. And managers have tweaked their startup approach to try to combat this, right? Because players or pitchers, most specifically, are going down because they didn't have enough time to get ready. Through the first 10 days of last season, starters averaged five and two-thirds innings and about 22 batters faced, about 86 pitches. That was last year. This season, they're averaging going four and a half innings, just over four and two-thirds, 19 batters faced, and 76 pitches. That's a huge decrease on every front. Managers are saying, look, you can't go as many innings, you can't face as many batters, you can't throw as many pitches because we're seeing all of these pitchers ending up on the injured list because of the short ramp-up period, but also because of stopping and starting and stopping and starting. Dusty Baker and Rocco Baldelli both were quoted this weekend in interviews saying, look, this is not great for the health of our players. We can't just stop and start constantly. We got to allow our pitchers to get into a groove. The timing of these shutdowns is really, really going to take its its toll on pitching arms. Because remember, in spring training, they have weeks and weeks and weeks to slowly ramp up. And, and, and ligament issues in pitchers have been popping up last couple of days over the last week because the, the period just wasn't long enough for these pitchers to get ready. Remember, you can, you can strengthen a muscle slowly over time, especially today. Like, trainers and, and athletes can work together to, to tweak individual muscles like oh we gotta we gotta bulk up your biceps okay well your triceps can't be too big all right let's get your shoulders bigger and your core but we don't want your thighs to be any bigger right it can be customized for every athlete and that athlete's skill set muscles can be built up slowly over time ligaments can't ligaments are ligaments they're just there you, you can't like work out your acl to thicken it that's that's not how the human body works muscles are meant to be the protector and the first line of defense to protect ligaments. And if you don't have time to get those muscles into shape, now your ligaments are going to pay the price. And we've seen that with all these starting pitchers. The timing of the starting and stopping and the short warm-up period, 
it's really hurting pitchers. And if four or five teams got to shut down every week, which is the pace we're on, that's going to wreck havoc on baseball. Now, that's the timing of this outbreak. The other big story of this weekend, which directly, not indirectly, impacts the Brewers, is Lorenzo Cain. He opted out. This sucks for the Brewers and for Milwaukee and for Brewers fans, right? Like, that's that's one side of it is we want Lorenzo Cain to play. He's a really good player. He helps the Brewers win, and I'm going to miss him. Now, aside from my fandom, this should concern other MLB teams and fans, and it should concern the NFL. They already have a short schedule in Major League Baseball. There are already teams missing games. They already have an expanded postseason. This season is as already as messed up as a season could get. And now you have a player like Lorenzo Cain stepping out. You can't afford to take any more credibility hits to your league. You know what I'm saying? We're already looking past the fact that it's August 3rd and the Brewers are just playing their first game at Miller Park. We're already trying to look past the short 60-game schedule. We're already trying to ignore the stopping and the starting and we're just trying to just accept baseball the way it is. But now Lorenzo Cain opts out and everybody's like, really? This season's a mess. It's not going to mean anything. The MLB can't afford many more credibility hits to the season. Lorenzo Cain opting out is definitely a credibility hit. Now, for the NFL, this is the way they should look at it. Lorenzo Cain is a big-name, respected player who's a veteran and a World Series champ. So far in the NFL, most players who have opted out are not no-name players, but they're certainly not superstars. Not a lot of top 100 players taking the seasons off, right? A lot of offensive and defensive linemen, which sucks, but people can get over it because it's not Patrick Mahomes. It's not Michael Thomas or Julio Jones. But if Lorenzo Cain opts out in Major League Baseball, who's to say that, say, a quarterback could opt out in the NFL? I look through all the starting quarterbacks. I think the quarterback equivalent for Lorenzo Cain is, is Drew Brees. He's got one championship, not a league MVP, nothing too gaudy. He's played for a long time and compiled nice stats. Lorenzo Cain just won a gold glove. But what if Drew Brees were to opt out of this season? Everybody would be like, okay, this sucks, right? We're trying to look past everything. We're trying to look past all the players who have already opted out. We're going to try to look past the fact that there are no fans in the stands. If Drew Brees opts out, Russell Wilson, that's really tough to look past. That's really tough to ignore. And Lorenzo Cain opting out in Major League Baseball is eerily similar to what a quarterback opting out would be in the NFL. This really, really sucks. This second outbreak, which has led to the opting out of Lorenzo Cain, and led to another four or five teams pressing pause this season. It it really, really sucks. It really sucks. Now, I, I the easy thing would be to blame this all on Rob Manfred. I've tried to avoid hating Manfred just to hate on Rob Manfred. I'd like to think that on the show, we've taken it on a case-by-case basis, right? Okay, well, I like Manfred here. I don't like him here. Inst- like I, I like going case-by-case instead of just always hating one individual because Rob Manfred although a lot of people don't like him and I don't think he's a great commissioner, he could still make a great decision, right? That doesn't mean he sucks all the time. I hated his statement over the weekend about the second shutdown. This was this was the report from Jeff Passan, who, who got the scoop and who got the quote from Rob Manfred. This is what he said. Rob Manfred told Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Director Tony Clark on Friday that if the sport doesn't do a better job of managing the coronavirus, it could be shut down for the season. Wait, 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 wait. You don't get you don't you don't get to say that, Rob. You're in charge of Major League Baseball. You designed the whole thing. Your stamp of approval is all over this thing. Don't distance yourself from your sport and from your players and your managers and your front offices. Don't say, "Hey guys, you better you better do a good job or I'm pulling the plug." It'd be like a parent looking at his child and being like, "Hey, you you better pick it up or you know what? I'm just going to put you up for adoption. I'm done. I'm backing out." What? No. That was that was a really spineless 
statement that I thought Manfred used to excuse himself from all responsibility, which I hate. And we have enough leaders in 2020 trying to distance themselves from any and all responsibility. Rob Manfred's the only one we need to talk about. I think there are members of our government at every level and on both sides of the aisle that just want nothing to do with the responsibility of what's going on. But Rob Manfred's like, hey, do a better job or I'll shut it down. You're in charge, man. Like, what? What? I hated that. Let's talk about the Brewers and what this weekend series might look like because one of their best players is is now done for the year, Lorenzo Cain. He's gone out. Their center fielder, Gold Glover, leadoff hitter. Well, I guess leadoff hitter depending on the matchup, right? Either you're your eighth hitter or your leadoff hitter. He's now out. What does it mean for the Brewers? We'll talk about their strategy moving forward as they open their Miller Park portion of their schedule tonight here on WKTY. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to get to NBA basketball and the Bucks coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll talk about their game with the Celtics, with the Rockets last night, but really where the Bucks should go forward because these eight ramp-up games for the Bucks are, are just that. They're ramp-up games. Not saying they don't want to win. Not saying that I don't want the Bucks to win. God, I was frustrated last night. I want the Bucks to win. But bigger picture is probably more important right now as of August 3rd. Obviously, in a couple of weeks, we'll be taking a very different approach watching Bucks games. But we'll talk about their week, uh, their games from this weekend and big picture stuff coming up on the Bucks in about 10 minutes. In the meantime, we're tackling the biggest issue and the biggest story of the weekend. And that's the Brewers not playing baseball, which is really, really lame because I had nothing to watch. And I had to watch my Cubs friends and my Twins friends watch games and enjoy their teams. And I had n- nothing to watch this weekend. I watched NBA basketball. It's a decent second place choice, but I miss Brewers baseball. I wanted to watch some afternoon games this weekend, and and that was a bummer. Let's talk about the Brewers and what's the shutdown mean for them. It, it the number one thing is Lorenzo Cain has opted out. That's the the biggest and most important effect. But moving forward, what is Craig Council? What's his team going to do? Trying to figure that out, and I'd love to hear from you. 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text on the five star telecom talking text line. I, I, I was watching. ESPN yesterday afternoon, and I hate most ESPN shows. Like earlier today, I think Radio Joe was tweeting about, I don't know if it was First Take or Get Up or one of their their morning shows, their lunchtime shows. Like Kendrick Perkins said this about the Bucks, and Jalen Rose says this about the Bucks. It's like, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I hate most of their shows. I don't hate all sports TV shows. I like some of the shows on Fox Sports One and 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 NBC Sports Network or whatever that channel is now, if it's on Peacock. I don't even know. Most of ESPN's shows I, I don't really love. I just don't care. I might, however, love baseball tonight. I watched that for the first time and I, I don't even know last night. And that might be one of my new favorite shows. Jeff Passion, uh, Jeff Passan, who I've really come to like over the course of this summer as, as baseball has kind of been our big focus. I really, really like Tim Kirchin. He's always been on ESPN. He kind of reminds me of when SportsCenter, I think, was in its heyday. And then Carl Ravitch, who is shooting up my power rankings of favorite sports media people and I will never forget and I will always love this exchange he had with Rob Manfred if you remember this was just a couple of weeks ago the most important thing and I'm not buying into your number of 48 the most important thing is that we play Major League Baseball in 2020 and I can tell you unequivocally we are going to play Major League Baseball this year I'll be honest my number would be 60 to 70 games and you pay a full prorated salary and we get back to the game of baseball why wouldn't that be acceptable I just, I just love that. I think that's the funniest thing. Rob Manfred goes on this long, 
long, twisting, turning story about how well, you know, I don't I don't like your number 48, but bottom line, we're just, we're going to get back to playing baseball. That's our number one focus and our number one concern. And Carl Ravitch just doesn't even blink, just stares back at him and said, well, my number would be 60 games and you just pay them their damn money. Why is, why is that not acceptable? And Manfred's like, are you kidding me, man? Carl Ravitch looks so done with this pandemic. You watch him on TV and he just looks dead inside in a good way, in a good way. He just doesn't have time to put frosting on any of this. He's just like, this is dumb. This is stupid. This sucks. And I'm here for it, but it sucks. And I'm frustrated with it. And Carl Ravitch is shooting up my power rankings of sports media people. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a segment on on our on our favorite sports media people. Anyways, I was watching baseball tonight yesterday, and I had a blast, right? They were throwing it around. Here's some Twins highlights, some Athletics highlights, some Reds highlights. It was awesome. But you know what? The Brewers weren't a part of it because the Brewers didn't play this weekend. So I had to watch ESPN and watch baseball tonight to get my fix. I'm trying to figure out where the Brewers go from here, especially with Lorenzo Cain gone, because that's a a big wrench thrown in the Brewers' wheel. And in a year where we got a pandemic and a shortened season and, and taking random days off because teams are testing positive, like... Still, Lorenzo Cain opting out is a big pain in the you-know-what. In a normal year, that would suck. Even in this year, with everything as bad as it is, Lorenzo Cain opting out still sucks. And I don't really know where the Brewers are going to go because the Brewers have a lot of depth pieces. Right? They, they get a lot of replacement-level players. They got a lot of Ryan Healy's and Jed Jerko's and Justin Smokes. They got a lot of those players. They don't have very many superstars. They have Christian Yelich, hopefully Keston Hira, and Lorenzo Cain. And most of their other pl- players are just depth pieces, right? They rely on matchups and they go with the hot bat. Lorenzo Cain is a bona fide superstar. The, the Brewers don't have very many bona fide superstars, right? Ryan Healy opts out. Okay, fine. We'll put Mark Mathias in his place. There isn't another Lorenzo Cain on this roster. How does this affect the offense, the defense, how Craig Council handles his pitching rotation? There's, there's a lot to unpack. Defensively, I, I thought Ben Gamble was going to be their go-to center fielder. Now the roster is out for tonight, and the, the lineup is out. It's going to be Avi Garcia in center field. Ben Gamble's going to be in, in right. But in, in other roster news, Mark Mathias and Ryan Healy were recalled today, so they're now on the roster. Jacob Nottingham was optioned down. It's, it's, it's odd. I thought they'd call up an outfielder, but instead they called up Mathias and Ryan Healy, and then after doing a little bit of reading... Matthias has played the outfield before. And I'm like, okay, so that's very typical of Council and David Stearns. Don't call up the outfielder. Call up the infielder who can also play outfield. I joked on Twitter this afternoon. You can find me at Keystroker Grant. I think they should just trade for Aaron Perez because that's who they really want right now. They're like, damn it. I, I wish we could have Aaron Perez to play center field just because. I looked it up. He's in the Cubs system. So maybe they'll maybe they'll make a move for Aaron Perez. They're <laughs> one of Craig Council's favorite players of all time. I swear to God. We know they just want Aaron Perez. Just go ahead and trade for him. He can be their new center fielder. But it is very typical of the Brewers to not call up an outfielder, but instead call up an infielder who can also also play the outfield. So Avi Garcia is starting in center tonight. We'll see if he continues to be the center fielder, if they switch gears to Ben Gamel. I think Christian Yelich is, is pretty solid in left field. I don't think they're going to move him. They'll rotate other players. We'll see if they settle on Garcia, who's there tonight, or maybe they go to Ben Gamel. I don't know. That's how they probably play it defensively. What about offensively? Because Lorenzo Cain was great. He was one of the few Brewers bats that actually got off to a really fast start. Cain was 6 for 18, and he had three walks. It was a really good start, especially after the poor season he had last year. And everybody's talking about, hey, Lorenzo got to spring training early. He looked great. He got in great shape over the summer. He was ready to go. He's healthy. His body was feeling good, and he was hitting well. 
He was getting on base. And he was actually pulling the ball. He wasn't trying to catch up to pitches, which is what we saw last year. And he was splitting between the leadoff role and the bottom of the order based on the righty-lefty starter. He was switching back and forth with Eric Sogard, which I thought was a really interesting strategy by Craig Council. All right, on on days, you know, contingent on the matchup, we're going to have Eric Sogard hit leadoff or Lorenzo Cain hit leadoff, and the other player who's not hitting leadoff drops all the way to eighth, which I think is a fascinating strategy, and it was working really, really well. Lorenzo Cain was hitting really, really well. I don't know where they make up the production that Lorenzo Cain was was putting forward. Production's probably a bad word. Let's say on base. The activity. That was my number one goal and hope for Lorenzo Cain this summer is that he would be active. Getting on base, taking walks, making contact, beating out infield singles, all of that. He was being active. He didn't need to be a big run producer. He just needed to be active. I think Ben Gamble can play that role, right? He's been good enough offensively. He's been very, very good. He's got a new batting stance. He puts his hands in a different spot on the bat now, and he's been great. He's got 13 plate appearances. He's hitting 250. He's got three hits and four RBIs. If you get this version of Ben Gamble all season, it could be a lot worse. He's a career 263 hitter. I, I don't know if they're going to get enough production from Ben Gamble to fully re- replace Lorenzo Kane. That's obviously a very tall ask. But I, I, don't, I don't know who the other option is. It's, re- it's funny. They could really use Trent Grisham right now. That's who they could use, the player that they traded away. They traded away Zach Davies and, and Trent Grisham because they had a surplus of righty pitchers and outfielders. And now they have a shortage, quote-unquote, of outfielders. I know they have some depth, but n- no depth at the level of Lorenzo Cain. It'd be interesting to still have Trent Grisham and, and see what he could do in any sort of big role filling in for Lorenzo Cain. But obviously he's gone. Ideally, anybody that can get on base, put him in for Lorenzo Cain because that's what he was doing so well. He had three walks, six of 18, like I said, to start the season. They need someone to be active, someone to get on base. That bodes well for Sogard. I think his playing time is all but locked up because he's been able to get on base. Now, he's not going to play center field, but he can play that Lorenzo Cain role in the lineup, in the batting order. We've seen that so far this year. They just got to find somebody else, right? It's almost like Sogard can replace Cain, but who's going to replace Sogard? Well, tonight it's Ryan Healy. He's hitting leadoff and playing DH. I'd almost rather have Brandon Woodruff DHing than Ryan Healy, but we'll see. I'd love to be proven wrong. I think Craig Council's mission is going to be to find the hottest nine bats and make it work defensively. That's that. I think that's their best hope. After losing Lorenzo Cain, they need to score runs. I think you just get your hottest nine bats in the lineup and you make it work. You might have a soft spot here or there defensively, but if you don't score runs, I think you're screwed anyways. Get your hottest nine bats into the lineup, and just find a place for him to all play on defense. The DH certainly helps that. Just position him the best you can. Brewers are playing tonight. Well, let's look at the let's look at the uh, the roster right now instead of coming back to it before 6 o'clock. So it's Ryan Healy at the DH. He's leadoff. Then Pira Yelich Garcia. So Avi Garcia, who's now in center field, is also hitting cleanup. Jed Jerko is fifth. Justin Smoke, sixth. Then Pena, who's catching tonight, Arcia Gamel. And Brett Anderson is going to make his Brewers debut on the mound. Enjoy these Brewer games while you can, because who knows where we're going to be in a week. Right? Those Pirates games last week are are a perfect example, right? We're we're biting our nails, standing in front of the TV and extra innings and late in games. And we don't even know if baseball is going to be around in another week, right? Since then, we've had another outbreak and the Brewers have had to pause. So I don't know where we're going to be in a month or in two months or even in a week. But for now, enjoy these Brewer games while we have them there at Miller Park tonight, 635 pregame. 710 first pitch right here on WKTY. Okay, when we come back, let's change gears. Let's talk about the NBA. It was an amazing weekend for basketball. 
it was a pretty good weekend for the Milwaukee Bucks, but I don't know if this weekend mattered much for the Bucks. We'll debate that and think through it coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you had a great weekend. Looking forward to the return of Brewers baseball tonight. 7-10 first pitch here on WKTY. August 3rd, Brewers are finally playing a game at, at Miller Park. This year is, uh, well, it's just made everything weird. It feels like this is normal, right? A Brewers home opener tonight. Well, it's August 3rd. It's it's easy to forget. In the meantime, I want to talk about some Bucks basketball. We just went over the Brewers lineup. Uh, if you missed it, a couple news and notes. Ryan Healy hitting leadoff as the DH. Avi Garcia is in center field tonight. Ben Gamble is in right. So they're shifting things around a little bit after uh, Lorenzo Cain opted out this past Friday. So a couple news and notes. And of course, the Brewers Radio Network and the pregame show will start at 630. They'll get you filled in as well. Everything you need to know before the game. They will not, however, tell you about the Bucks. Let's let's do that right now. I, I worked my way back into the NBA this weekend. And and over the last week, I've, I maybe have sounded skeptical about the NBA, that I'm not into it, that I that I don't care, that I'm not interested. I Look. It's not because I don't care. It's because I care so much. And by March 11th, before the NBA shut down, I was so into the season and I had gone through it for months and months and months and ridden the highs and lows and the bad games and the great games and the primetime games and the Sunday games at 1130 that no one watched that were only on Fox Sports Wisconsin and NBA TV. I'd gone through it all. I had lived with this Bucks team. And then it dropped out and all of a sudden I'm supposed to hop back in in 15 minutes in the first game? No, it took me a little bit. It didn't take me a little bit because I don't care. It's because I care so much. So I hope you understand that. I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer that I don't care about the Bucks. I do. Just taking me a little bit of time to get back into it. And last night, I got 100% of the way back in. During the Bucks game, there was a play where the ball got tossed around a little bit after the Bucks missed a shot, and there were some ugly offensive rebounds and a fumble and a stumble, and then the ball finally swings back out to Middleton on the wing. He knocks it down. Mike Breen hits a bang, and I'm like, NBA's back. I looked around. I was watching it with a buddy. I'm like, yep, there it is. I'm 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 back in. And then, of course, after that, the Bucks gave up a 9 to nothing run, and then they proceeded to, <laughs> proceeded to lose. But that's not the point. The point is I'm back in on the NBA. I watched a ton, a ton of NBA basketball this week, mostly because the Brewers weren't on. So I was trying to get a feel for the the rest of the league and and get back into the swing of things. Like I said, by the way, this is a great weekend for the Eastern Conference. An absolutely awesome, awesome weekend for the Eastern Conference against the West. There were six games over the weekend that were matchups between East and West teams. The East went four and two. The two losses were the Bucks last night. They shouldn't have lost that game. And the other loss was the Wizards to the Suns. So who really gives a damn? So pretty good weekend for the East. I think that this weekend proved me correct on two fronts. So if you would give me 60 seconds to take my victory lap before we start on the Bucks, I'd very much appreciate that. Number one, the number one place I was right is everybody says the West is so much better than the East. Everybody's been treating this as a foregone conclusion for the last 10 years. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's much more fluid than that. The way I saw it this weekend, the Heat killed the Nuggets by 20 points. The Raptors beat up on the Lakers by 15. We'll get to them more in a second. The Celtics beat up on the Blazers. The Magic beat up on my Kings, which is a bummer. Now, the Rockets did beat the Bucks, but it was a close game. The, the East looked fantastic this weekend. Look, I don't I don't think the Celtics or, or the, the Sixers are championship teams, but I certainly don't feel that way about the Nuggets. Right? I, I certainly don't feel that way about the Blazers. 
and the East had a great weekend. So number one, I, I think the East and the West are just about as even as it gets. Most people don't. I think I was proven correct this weekend. That's point number one. Point number two that I was very right on, and I knew I was right on even before this weekend, no one, no one respects the Toronto Raptors. No one even, actually, it's not even about respect. It's about acknowledgement. No one acknowledges the Raptors exist. That team is amazing. And when championship contenders are discussed, it's the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, and then we get into the Celtics and the Rockets. And what about the Sixers? They have interesting value. Have you seen the money line on the Sixers? Have you seen the odds on the Sixers? No. You know who's really good and that you don't even really have to make an argument for them? The Raptors. The Raptors are really, 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 really good. And a lot of people showed up to that party on Saturday night. They're like, hey, guys, this Raptors team is legit. Yeah, thank you. They've been legit since November. Please go away. Log off Twitter. Your, your opinion doesn't matter. This Raptors team has shown you how good they are for months. And everybody's waltzing in on Saturday night. Like, you know what? These Raptors are pretty damn good. Wow. People are sleeping on the rap. Yeah, everyone is. Except for the people who actually watch the games. So, proven right on both fronts. There's my victory lap. Thank you very much. Now, the Bucks. As for the Bucks. Last night was as frustrating as it gets. They had an eight-point lead near the end of the game, like I said, after that Middleton three, and then they gave up a 9-0 run, and they lost. The Bucs had zero reason, zero reason to lose last night's game. In fact, it was historic. It was historic that they found a way to lose that game. They had a better shooting percentage. They had twice the amount of rebounds. They had three times the point in the paint of the Raptors. This is a statistic last night that I wanted to share, if I can find it. ESPN Stats and Info put this out. The Bucs are the first team in NBA history to lose a game in which they score 110 points, held an opponent under 40% shooting, and had a plus 25 rebound differential. Those teams are now 177 and 1 all time. The Bucs had zero reason to lose that game last night, but they found a way, and it's not the end of the world. I'm not that mad. It was frustrating to watch. I want my team to win. They were addicted addicted to turning the ball over last night. They had 23. 23 turnovers last night. They had a late lead, and it came down to turnovers and bad late-game execution. I mean, who are, we, who are we watching? The Wisconsin Badgers here? Is that, is that who we're watching? The Wisconsin Badgers. God. Thought college basketball was over for the year. Sorry to Badgers fans. I had to get that in. Sloppy games happen. Look, that that's inevitable, but 23 turnovers? 23 turnovers. And, and that... Wasn't just by luck. It was a way the the minutes were handled and the rotations were handled. But before I get into my issues with last night's game and how Coach Bud coached and how the Bucks played, I want to put a caveat on this. I want to put a little disclaimer. I, I'm not convinced that Coach Bud actually wanted to win that bad last night. I, I think he w- he had it in his mind that I want to play these guys this many minutes and I want to work on this combo of players and I want to work on this play and he did not deviate from it because I don't think winning these games, these ramp up games, I don't think it's that important to him. I hope I'm right, because if Coach Bud was trying to win that game last night and coaching like it was a playoff game, he did a terrible job, a terrible job. And I hope, for the Bucks' sake and for my sanity, that last night was not Coach Bud and the way he's going to coach in the postseason. Here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, there are some players who played big minutes last night for absolutely zero reason. Sterling Brown had nine points, or excuse me, nine minutes. DJ Wilson had seven, Urson had four. That's nine minutes, seven minutes, and four minutes too many. I don't need to see any one of those three players in the postseason. No need. None. Zero. They really missed Eric Bledsoe, and there are, there are some injuries. They're without Pat, and they're without Eric Bledsoe, so they 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 had to figure out and made a, make it work. Don't get me wrong. But George Hill played 27 minutes last night and only took three shots. What? 
What happened to George Hill over the course of this pandemic, by the way? He's a shell of himself. He was invisible last night. He only took three shots, 27 minutes. Dante, by the way, who got most of those minutes filling in for Eric Bledsoe, had five turnovers in three minutes. So yeah, great. He had a, a brilliant play here and there, but for every great play he had last night, he had four or five bad ones. Those are players that just, when the playoffs start, you can shut down Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, and Urson, except in the case of injuries. The, the, just too many minutes. And that led to some of the turnovers. Don't get me wrong. That's point number one. That's beef number one that I have with Coach Bud and the Bucks last night. Number two is the way they handled Chris Middleton. Now, Chris Middleton played very well last night. He didn't have a bad game. Here's the thing, though. He started out incredible. He got off to this hot start. He hit his first four shots, his first three threes, and he had 13 points when he first subbed out of the game with 424 to play in the first quarter. All right, great start. Chris Middleton's playing well. Here's my issue, and this issue goes all the way back to Jason Kidd. The Bucs don't make anything easy for Chris Middleton. They don't set anything up for him or run any specific plays for him. They let him do his thing in isolation, and they force him to get his own shot. In the fourth quarter, Chris Middleton only took five shots, and three of those shots were three-pointers from 26, 27, and 31 feet, meaning Chris Middleton got frustrated because he was playing great but wasn't getting opportunities, so he took matters into his own hands and forced three terrible shots because that, that's all he could get. Help him out. Run sets for him. He's an amazing mid-range shooter. You need to capitalize on that. If I could sit down with Coach Bud, I'd ask him, hey, Bud, let's say Middleton starts the game and he's red hot. What do you do? Because Coach Bud should have a specific area of the playbook. Five or six sets, five or six plays that you only go to when Middleton is unconscious hot. Okay, Middleton's shooting well. All right, go to this play. Yep, pull it. They should have a system and a set of plays specifically designed for when Chris Middleton heats up. Because what happens is, like last night, is Chris Middleton is great, he gets hot, his shot is falling, and then they just go away from him. And when he comes back in, he's like, I'm playing well, I better start shooting, so he heaves bad shots because the offense doesn't assist him in getting any twos, any jumpers at the elbow, anything. No, he gets no help. That's something you need to fix in the playoffs, and it's been an issue for years. That's number one. All right, my biggest issue, and I want to spend the last 10 minutes of the show on this as well. Brooke Lopez played 31 minutes last night which I don't think was enough. By comparison, Chris Middleton played 34 and Giannis played 33. I get that it's only a difference of a couple of minutes. Brooke Lopez only had 31 minutes. Robin only had four minutes, which is less than DJ Wilson, by the way, for reference. Just to put things into perspective, Robin Lopez played fewer minutes than DJ Wilson. And neither Brooke Lopez or Robin Lopez was on the floor to close last night's game. The last meaningful possession the Bucks had in the flow of the offense, before it became a timeout free throw game, Kyle Korver was on the floor instead of Brooke Lopez. Why? There is zero reason for that. The Rockets don't have a player taller than 6'7", and everything Brooke did offensively was fantastic. Every time that Brooke got the ball in his hands, whether as a passer or as a shooter or he got the ball in the block, good things happened every single time because the Rockets don't have someone to, to defend Lopez, so they got to double team him, triple team him, and that led to either a a great bucket over a mismatch or a pass that led to a shot or a pass that led to a pass that led to a shot. Every time Brooke got his hands on the ball, good things happened offensively. And last night, their offense was not very good. They had 23 turnovers. So I really would have doubled down on what made them great last night. That was Robin and Brooke Lopez. And once again, I don't think Bud was coaching last night like a playoff game because if he was, he did a terrible job. And I don't think Coach Bud is a terrible coach. So I'm treating last night as if it was a playoff game. 
which it's not. But for the sake of this show and for the sake of interesting conversation, let's pretend that it was a playoff game. Coach Bud needs to be more lax and needs to be more fluid. He needs to be more willing to feed Middleton and run specific sets for Middleton when he's hot. And he needs to be willing to run the offense through Brooke Lopez. (gasps) I know, a center. He needs to be willing to run it through Brooke Lopez when the matchups indicate that that's a good idea. And last night they did. I want to talk about post play and I want to talk about Brooke Lopez because I think the Bucs have a secret weapon in Brooke Lopez that not a lot of teams have. I want to explain myself and talk about what it means for the Bucks moving forward as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. I've been watching the game stream of Nuggets Thunder on commercial breaks. They're in overtime. 117-113, the Nuggets are leading. Michael Porter Jr. has 35 points. I'm feeling things. The NBA is... uh, the NBA is back. By the way, I'm watching the game cast like a caveman, like a Neanderthal. I got to email my boss and say that we need to get an NBA TV subscription and a pl- and a flat screen TV in the studio. Uh, both would be helpful, just you know, for the for the quality of my show. Really, that's that's probably the argument I'll make. I'll have to email Mr. Scott Robert Shaw or Dave Carney at some point tonight because this is come on. I I'm like a caveman in here. I'm watching live stats as they update. This game's amazing. Chris Paul's balling as well. He's got 25-plus points. But if Chris Paul isn't on your MVP ballot, I, I don't want to see your ballot. Thunder traded away Westbrook and Paul George, and they they might be better. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander is awesome. God, I, I'm so glad the NBA is back. And I fully flipped the switch as an NBA fan last night. We're talking about the Bucks, and I, I have a theory. I love it when I get a theory, right? And I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to write, like, a paper about it and try to get it published. It's just it's a dumbed-down sports theory, so my version of a theory. And it's about the Lopez brothers, specifically Brooke Lopez. And the Bucs did the opposite of what they should have done last night. They took Brooke Lopez off at the most important juncture of the game for the sake of Kyle Culver, because it's all about three-pointers. we got to get three-pointers and layups, three-pointers and layups, three-pointers and layups. No, you know what worked yesterday? The only thing that worked yesterday, other than Chris being brilliant early and Giannis just being Giannis, the only thing that went well was Brooke Lopez initiating the offense out of the post. They had 23 turnovers. Nothing went well on offense yesterday, except for Brooke Lopez. Post play. Got to double down on post play, or they should have doubled down on post play last night. For the last few years, the mid range shot has become very valuable, right? If, you, if you've been watching NBA games, but specifically if you like listen to NBA podcasts or you do a lot of reading about the NBA, maybe you watch NBA TV shows where you have the really nerdy NBA media members, the writers, right? The Howard Becks, the Zach Lowe's, the Adrian Wojnarowski's, those guys, the, ner- the Bill Simmons, those guys. Kevin Durant and Kawhi examples are great examples of this. Or KD and Kawhi Leonard are great examples. Excuse me. They have excellent mid-range shots. And they can they, they can almost weaponize this shot. It's, it's a weapon for them. Mid-range shots aren't for everyone. But it's a lethal skill for KD, Kawhi. I even think Middleton, while he's not as good as Kawhi or KD, has a very similar skill set. He can get to the elbow and get a shot with a hand and a face. And, it's, and it looks so smooth. It's almost like a layup. It's a shot he practices. And, and coaches have found ways, good coaches have found ways to tuck in an occasional mid-range shot to expose defenses. Because defenses in 2020 are keying on layups and three-pointers. You want to take those away and you live with whatever else? Well, Nick Nurse realized that in the postseason last year. He's like, hey, Kawhi, just go to town in the mid-range because it's going to be there. And Kevin Durant, same thing. Get to the elbow and get your shot. Nobody can stop you. And Chris Middleton at times. A little shake and bake, a little shimmy, pull up from the elbow. It looks really difficult, but it's not for him because it's a shot he practices. 
KD, Kawhi, Chris Middleton, they're players that have almost turned the mid-range shot into a weapon because of its novelty, because no one expects it. No one game plans for it. Media members the last couple of years, like the the uh, Bill Simmons of the world, right, the Rachel Nichols of the world, they're always like, hey, you got to get a mid-range shot. You got to find a mid-range shot. And three years ago, it was like, hey, you got to find a three-point shot. Find a three-pointer. And now we've shifted to, hey, you got to get a mid-range shot. Giannis, you got to get a mid-range shot, which kind of just proves that NBA fans are never happy. But I, but I get it. Nobody's defending the mid-range shots. If you get a mid-range shot, it's a heck of a weapon. I think post-play is the next mid-range shot. And last night is a great example why. We all think of the post, and we think of it as a dirty word. And it's, and it's from an era gone by. And nobody plays out of the post anymore. No one runs post sets. No one initiates offense out of the post. In college basketball, sure, but not in the NBA, right? Come on, it's post-play. A center? No. Today, centers are expected to play from the perimeter. Embiid shoots threes. So does Anthony Davis. So does Brooke Lopez. He completely reinvented himself to fit today's NBA. We think of the, the post as, as a, an era gone by, and it's, it's, it's never coming back. We thought the same of the mid-range shot. Like two years ago, we're like, look at Michael Jordan shooting from the elbow. What an idiot, right? Like, you never do that in today's NBA. It'd be all threes and layups. Well, actually, you go back and watch... Watch footage from the Raptors playoff run last year. Kawhi's pulling up a lot from mid-range. A shot that not a lot of people think is smart, but there's a weakness in the defense. Kawhi took advantage of it. I think post-play is the same thing. For example, last night, Bucks are playing the Rockets. Rockets don't have a center. They play small ball, right? They have nobody on the roster bigger than 6'7 or 6'8. Chris Middleton would be the tallest player on the, on the Rockets lineup. Why Brooke Lopez was not the focal point offensively for any and every possession in the second half, including the last two minutes, it's beyond me. I don't understand why, which is why I don't think Coach Bud was really coaching to win like he would in a playoff game last night, at least I hope, because if he was, he did a terrible job. Did a terrible job. Brooke Lopez, in last night's matchup, in last night's game, I'm not saying every game, every night, but last night, Brooke Lopez was the key to winning. And he had a good game. He was very, very effective. What do you have, 20, 23 and 11? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Yeah, 23 points, 12 rebounds, 23 and 12. Brooke Lopez is everywhere. He was great. And they went away from it at the end of the game. They are like, oh, let's take him off the floor. Let's get Kyle Korver out there. They were playing DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown instead of Robin Lopez. Get Robin out there. He's a great matchup for Robin. Let him bang in the post. You get a hook shot going. And, and I know NBA fans see that. They see Robin and Brooke Lopez doing a hook shot. Or doing a little turnaround fadeaway, and they're like, "Man, is that an inefficient shot? That's that's so old school, such a such a an inefficient shot, such a dumb shot." No, it's no, it's not because last night it was working really well. Now it's probably not going to work against the Sixers because they have Embiid and Horford for what it's worth. Although I don't I don't really know how Horford's going to play out down the stretch. We'll see. It's probably not a great game plan for the Raptors because they have Marcus All and and Pascal Siakam's pretty good defensively as well. But what about against the Celtics? They got rid of Aaron Baines and Al Horford. They run things a little bit smaller. They play Daniel Tice, right? Who's to say that there isn't room in a Bucks celtics playoff game for a little Brooke Lopez magic underneath, right? Why not? You have to exploit what matchups you can exploit. And what I worry about with Coach Bud going into this postseason, I love the Bucks. I think their chances of making the finals are great. But one of the things that worries me is Coach Bud's just, just unwillingness to waver off of his system. Last night after the game, he said, hey, the Rockets play their game, we play ours. Well, you know what? Then those are two teams that are going to lose in the playoffs. We've seen that with the Raptors. We saw it last year with the Bucks. 
I don't want that to become a theme. Coach Bud needs to be more fluid. All right, tonight we're playing the Celtics. We should gear more on this. Tonight we're playing the Sixers. We should change and play this way. Defensively and offensively. And I didn't see a whole lot of that either last night. I think Robin Lopez should have played 12 minutes. 10, 12 minutes, not two. DJ Wilson got more run than Robin Lopez. God, stuck with me today. Brewers pregame getting underway in about 35 minutes. First pitch will be tonight for their home opener on August 3rd. They'll play the White Sox tonight. Brett Anderson will make his Brewers debut. Ryan Healy playing the DH. Avi Garcia in center field for the now opted out Lorenzo Cain. Enjoy Brewers baseball. After a couple days off, we'll be back to talk about it tomorrow here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.